Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Maddox. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast, where on this fine occasion, we got ourselves some real good, lumpy, squiddy boys. We got some squid <laughs> chaps up in our episode today. We're talking tentacles. We're talking eyeballs. We're talking weird points. <laughs> All over their body, on the ends of the tentacles, and on the head part as well. We're talking lumps, we're talking squishy, squishy dark mantles. That's what we're talking about today, folks. That's right, we took a we took a break from the weird things, but we're back. Boom, back in the saddle. And, and it's weird, like, they're the kind of like, truth be told, all cards not on the table, they kind of feel like the shitty version of the cloaker, uh, for yeah. several reasons that we'll enumerate, which is kind of the peril of the structure of this show. We were bound to get something like this eventually. Basically just a monster that is a pure downgrade from a previous creature that we liked a whole bunch. Effectively, the Dark Mantle is pretty much just a cloaker, except where a cloaker masquerades as a cloak and has illusions. The Dark Mantle pretends to be a rock and has darkness. It's a rock! It's just a rock. They have a place in the world and they can prominently serve as a challenge for lower level parties if you want to get into cave or underdark or even shadowfell stuff in the early game. These would be good candidates for that kind of fight. Uh, they have a couple more little creative uses as well, but yeah. Do they? <laughs> yeah, I think that you can use them in a larger encounter in a very cool way. There's not, again, a whole bunch of stuff to the lore, and there's not a whole, whole bunch of the mechanical stuff. It's more interesting than some of the uninteresting fights that we've had in this game. Like, it's leagues more interesting than Cyclops or Chimera or Carcatrices. I think that Dark Mantle's can turn into a cool encounter, especially a, you know, one of those smother encounters in the same way that the Cloaker was, except in the early game, which is significantly right. more interesting. So yeah, I think on the whole, I do kind of like these guys. They're not my favorite, but there's something about them that I do really like, and I think a big part of what I really like about them is the art style. So without any further ado, let's start discussing this monster. <laughs> Just gonna start doing, like super like like youtuber podcast ass let's jump right in oh god please please don't <laughs> please do not do that <laughs> without any further ado let's jump right into it orion orion <laughs> all right all right <laughs> just just like you just hear yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> So, in terms of the art, I, I do love this squiddy squiddy chap. It's so lumpy and so pointy. It reminds me, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the very abstract painterly style in Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth, which is this very like psychotronic, crazy graphic novel, Batman graphic novel. I really love it quite a bit. And it has that same like malformed, dreamy quality to it that I like quite a bit. It's basically like, basically just what it is. It's just a very wide squid in shape, like an octopus squid <laughs> with eight or nine tentacles sticking out of its very wide drape-like body bit. 
Yeah, and these tentacles kind of end in weird arrow points, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, I think there are squids. Like, I, surely that's not just an aspect of cartoon squids. Like, there are surely real squids that do that, that have, like, the arrow points at the ends of their tentacles, right? Pro like, it's gotta be. It's, I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so much that it has to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the tentacles, which are appropriately suctiony, they taper into that very strange arrowhead point shape, which I usually like when I see it on a squid monster. It also has a very pointy arrowhead squid head, and along with its very pointy squid head, it's got eight milky red eyes that I'm, I, I guess I'm guessing there are eight. We only see four in the picture, but I'm assuming that they loop around the entire dark mantle. And these eyes, like, if the lumpiness of the silhouette is what does it for me firstly, the milky eyes are what does it for me secondly. They're like... It's that very beautiful blend of a thing that sounds very cool on paper that is rendered in a very silly choose-your-own-adventure book way. So they're these yeah. pure... Yeah, they, they have no pupils. They're pure red, this very milky red color, which has the cadence of a very cool thing that would go on a cool monster, but instead it's on this very lumpy boy. And, like, the eyes are so wrinkly and sad. Like, the skin around the eyes are so saggy and sad and wrinkly. <laughs> that it just looks so silly and good, and I love it so much. It's just got those big blind eyes, and it looks so tired. It does. <laughs> it reminds me of the, what are they, the mind witnesses? That weird kind of beholder that we get in uh, uh, Bolo's Guide or whatever? Uh, it's like, it's I, don't, I don't have all the, the details. I think it's the mind witness. It's whatever the beholder that like is a beholder formed from a mind flayer or something like that it's this very like yeah, yeah, yeah. raw it's gross color with the milky eyes i really like it it's very affecting it's very cool it's very silly but in a horrifying way and i'm always yeah down it's for got that. like it's got like the red raw skin around the eyes which is very kind of puffy <laughs> yeah yeah it's very saggy very good as is so often the case we do get a lot of good detailing as well in the form of a very lumpy musculature and veins and not necessarily like like skeleton, but you can definitely see the musculature of the tentacles as it attaches and comes to a point at the top of the pointy squiddy head. And then as they run all the way down along the very drape-like octopus kind of body that the Dark Mantle yeah, has. Yeah, I really hate that. I really hate that. <laughs> it's quite good. I like it. It's, well, I mean, like, I hate it in that way where I love it, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, like and I love way. it in the way that I hate it, so <laughs> so I'm with you there. Just, like, the way you can see it bulging out underneath the flappy skin is, like, bleh. Yeah, I love that just big, veiny motherfucker bit, right? There, like, just that big old vein that stretches across the first yeah. two tentacles facing us. Love that. Absolutely. Mm-mm, that makes me feel real good. <laughs> so, like, I like the, the main art style. Also notable for the first time, I think, in the show is the little B-side picture that we get in the corner. Usually, I'm sure there's a better name for it, but it's the picture that they draw that's of the monster, but in some different situation, it's not colored. It's so usually it's like it's oh, just a yeah. different picture of it roaring or like just a close up of its skull or something. Usually they're not very remarkable. But in this case, we get a very neat little background drawing of the dark mantle disguised as a stalactite next to other stalactites. And that just makes me feel very good because it's so subtle. You can only tell it's a dark mantle by its eyes that are peeking out at the base of it. And like <laughs> the little bit of tentacles that masquerade as just cracks and fissures in the ceiling of this cave. And it, it just looks very good and cool. And I, I think I'm willing to say that I'm on the whole 
less interested in the art of a false appearance creature if they don't have the Transformers-esque rendition of what that creature disguised as whatever it can hide in as. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if... And, like... Yeah, if if we if in the book there was like a little bit of like a little um oh what's we'll call it an, an aside yeah a little aside picture of like a cloaker hanging up on a rack or yeah, something yeah just just a fucking <laughs> cape and you don't it just looks like a cape and then you notice that like oh there are like tentacles at the bottom of that piece like that that makes me feel not good I yeah. uh I wish that yeah I pretty much want the the disguise of any false appearance creature shown to me because i'm always down for it but yeah it's a good boy it's a nice surreal boy it has just enough of an octopus body and a squid head like it reads as a creature the detailing is there to make it feel like an actual creature but its silhouette and its like theme is it not it's like the content of the creature is very strange and surreal but the execution is very sincere and i i appreciate that quite a bit yeah it's, it doesn't feel like the Chul, which doesn't necessarily feel like a monster that could... Ex- like, I don't remember there being that sense of detailing with the Chul. Like, it mostly just felt like a big high fantasy monster. Like, a very silly high fantasy monster that I liked the look of. But this is a yeah. very beautiful blend of a uh, Dark Souls monster, but, like, the SpongeBob close-up painter picture <laughs> of the monster. Like, I like seeing that vein right there. That vein does it for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. It helps yeah. that it's something that, like, is more easily recognizable as a thing that could exist just because it's just a squid, basically. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, it's just a squid. It's just a very dramatic squid. Yeah. Very lumpy, very dramatic squid. And and I like it. I, li- I love this squid. I love this eyeballed squid. In terms of the lore that we get, I... Hold on. I got a thing in my mouth. I got a thing in my mouth. Okay, hold on. Oh, Jesus, fuck, everything's breaking. Check okay. that out. Yeah, I got that thing out of my mouth. Can you imagine if you were, like, a dog, and, like, you had to take the thing out of your own mouth, but you were also very hesitant to give the thing in your mouth to yourself? I'm gonna edit this out, because it's inane. <laughs> profoundly inane. But I just had this just... idea of, like, my hand trying to reach at my face while my face is, like, hiding under the bed. <laughs> just the fucking... I'm just like reading Thirsta and just like, could you imagine if like you were a dog? <laughs> <laughs> what if it was just like you were a dog? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> Sorry about that. In terms of the lore that we get about Dark Mantles, it is very much just D&D monster.txt. We get just enough details to get a feel for these guys and nothing more. In a way, it feels kind of elegant almost. Like there are other lore bits about these monsters that kind of obfuscate the DM service behind the details, right? So, like, often we'll tout that, like, oh, here's the bit in the lore that is supposed to help you know what to do with this monster in a dungeon, or here's your, like, adventure hook that they kind of obfuscate in the traits or psychology of the monster. In the Dark Mantle's case, it almost feels like they were filling out a checklist. Like, we need to say where it lives, how it murders stuff, and how it fits into a dungeon. And then they just wrote those two paragraphs and moved on. And you can very clearly parse out what the intention for each of these details were. Yeah. Which, like, eh, fuck it. Sometimes I'm in a rush. I I wish there were more details, but I'm they they got everything that they needed to get. It's more than the cockatrice, I guess. Yeah, I suppose that's true. It's <laughs> it's it's enough. It did it. It's the like where the Cyclops stat block was enough. The Dark Mantle's lore was enough. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, it could it could absolutely be worse, I suppose. Yeah, it could be nothing, and it's not nothing. It's enough. So thanks for doing the minimum, Wizard of the Coast. <laughs> the Lord tells us that dark mantles live in caves or in the underdark and disguise themselves as stalactites or stalagmites or rocks or just cave formations waiting around for tasty, tasty treats to walk by. They then drop on their prey and use their wide, wide bodies to engulf and crush and smother and eat the prey. And they also use a innate magical darkness that can exude from their body to obscure their attack. And yep, that's true. That's what the stat block gives us. That's how they do. Weirdly, uh, looking at the that little bit, looking at the stat block and looking at the picture, they seem to have cut something from the old version of the Dark Mantles, which is that the tips of their tentacles were covered in teeth. Oh, Neat. They used to be able to slash with their tentacles. That's kind of cool. Like, kind of rake. Yeah, I almost wonder if they removed that because of the redundancy with displacer beasts, who can do a similar thing with their tentacles. Hmm. That would, I, who knows if that's the case. That's just me shot in the dark. Uh, yeah, that's, that seems to be, uh, like, full disclosure, I've been just kind of looking at how they've changed, and hmm. aside from... <laughs> A lot of details about their mating habits. The only thing that's really changed is that, I guess. Oh, oh, them horny squids. I shit you not. There's like 10 paragraphs about like the reproduction of these things. Huh. Is it cool? I say uh, as evenly as just, possible. It's just kind of mollusk-esque. They're hermaphroditic. Oh. They lay eggs the size of chicken eggs, oh. which grow into lar- larva that like larva that feed and drink from the pools in the underdark and then grow into these four foot spiky squid things oh well that's kind of cool and i feel like we should mention that we both looked at the third edition art as well and it does look like just a real spinier version of the dark met like it's a lot as i recall a lot bonier and a lot thinner looking i kind of like this very huggable squid that we get in fifth edition and uh i you know I think what I'm, it is what what it is is that all of the tentacles are on the outside of the skin yeah yeah they they all lay on top of the skin flaps as opposed to underneath so like huh. it looks more like it's one big circular bat wing than yeah. a nice squid boy this squid is a lot more huggable and so i like it a lot more So in the little bit of lore detailing that we do get, we learn that dark mantles are common in the Underdark, but they're also just as common in the Shadowfell, which is kind of like the sad plane of existence. It's where the droopy, sad things live. It's, I'm sure there's more to it. I mean, it's kind of like, it isn't, isn't the Shadowfell the source of the negative energy in the play, or have they retconned that totally? Well, the shadow fell. No, 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 no. Because there's the positive energy plane and the negative energy plane. Those were never the Feywild and the shadow fell. So those were the always separate. Shadow is just like the opposite of the yeah. The, the shadow fell is just like the opposite of the Feywild, basically. Yeah. The shadow fell is that place what has dark Fey, like the Shadarkai. Yeah, it's where all your edgelord OC do not steal characters hang out, along with the droopy things. Which, speaking of the Shadarkai, they apparently kept dark mantles as pets. Yeah, yeah, so we do we do hear that. It it kind of suggests that there is an extra planar origin to the Dark Mantle, but that's all it is. The book never comes out and says that Dark Mantles originate from the Shadowfell. It just kind of suggests that they're from the Shadowfell. The book does mention that, yes, intelligent creatures of the Shadowfell will sometimes train Dark Mantles as guardians or as pets, uh, fulfilling the kind of 
DM hand-waving as to why you might find a dark mantle in a domestic setting or, like, a castle dungeon that you might have the players go into. Yeah. Do you, uh... <laughs> do you want to hear the what's funny about the name of the settlement in the Shadowfell where they keep or where they keep dark mantles as pets? Sure. You say dark mantles are like shitty cloakers. Well, the name of the settlement is Cloakerhaven. <laughs> Way to rub it in, cloakers. Yeah, apparently in Cloakerhaven, they keep dark mantles as pets. Oh. <laughs> do they keep cloakers as pets in Dark Mantle Haven? <laughs> no, the cloakers are kings in Dark Mantle Haven. <laughs> ah, yes, as they should be. The rightful lords <laughs> of the peasantry. The book tells us that in the Shadowfell... Dark mantles fulfill an ecological niche similar to bats, and I don't totally understand. Does that mean, like, they eat insects? Does it mean, like, is it because they have blindsight and echolocation? Do people think of them as, like, cute nuisances when they use their little squishy bodies to squeeze into their houses? I don't know. <laughs> These are the questions that I have. Ah, oh, fuck, we got a dark mantle in the attic again. It's all right, they can squish their bodies down to, like, an inch. Just push it back under the doorframe. <laughs> But yeah, beyond that, I I don't know. I It's one of those things that I wish they had a little bit. Like, I, I get where they're coming from, I guess. I guess it is because they hang out in hordes and use echolocation. They are kind of like the bats of the Shadowfell. And I imagine that this is just their <laughs> more professional way of structuring the sentence. They're just the Shadowfell bats. But I do wish that there was a little bit more ecological detailing to really get into the meaning of why they would be the bats of the Shadowfell. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, by, by the way, just real quick, before yeah. we end lore stuff, uh, I said the phrase domestic dungeon earlier, and that makes me want to, like, a time to make cookies beyond one's limits. <laughs> I'd, I'd play that spinoff of Cooking Mama. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a really sad Lovecraft dude, but he's wearing an apron, and I brought the tang. <laughs> Two things uh, that sort of actually relate to the bat thing. So... Dark mantles, as was said in the lore, can create magical darkness around themselves, right? When they engulf their yes. prey. Yep. Um, apparently, eh, the way it used to be, a dark mantle's eyes could substitute the bat fur material component in the darkness spell. Oh, that's cool. Damn, yeah. that almost makes me want like an ontological origin for the dark mantle. Like, I almost want to, like, in, in the same way that Cyclops and Giants have the same progenitor god, I want like mm -hmm. the... This is the, the god of squid and bats that made both bats <laughs> and also dark mantles. <laughs> I am the god of squid and bats. Yeah, a strange <laughs> deity to be sure, but a welcome one. And I wonder if maybe that, that would be the, the reason why uh, astrologically they have the same magical place in the universe. Mm. I just thought that was interesting because I really like the practice of replacing magical components with other things. And I think that's real cool that it says they take up the niche of bats and in so much, apparently also the magical component niche of bats. Yeah, the sort of arcane niche of bats. Isn't there some truth to the idea that the Shadowfell does mirror the prime material plane in some way? Like kind of like a dark Nintendo-esque yeah, dark world? that's kind of the way that people... The, the way it's described is that the Feywild and the Shadowfell are like the positive and negative mirrors of our world. Yeah, yeah. And this, you know, this isn't tooth and plane, but if you had any more context for why that may be, it might help lend some context as to why dark mantles might be the 
Shadowfell bats. Yeah, I suppose so. I don't know a whole lot about the planes, but... I know it makes you sad to be in. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> kind of like being an undergrad, it makes you sad. Just <laughs> you take one, You step one foot into the Shadowfell and you're like... <sighs> Dead for life for me. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's that's about all we got for the lore bits of the Dark Mantle. Yeah. They're good. I, I again, this is purely just goodwill drawn by the art style, but just like it pure, the the halo effect is strong. I like the art, the look of the Dark Mantle so much that I'm willing to forgive some of the mediocre lore that we get. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. In terms of the mechanical stuff that we get, it's such a droopy, squiddy friend that I thought for sure it was an aberration, but nope, it's a monstrosity. Yeah, that's real weird. Another example as to why the D&D categorization falls down sometimes. Is is it possible that at one point they were aberrant in nature? Is this like another Beholder thing, like the reverse of the Beholder thing, where before they were monstrosities and now they're aberrations? Nope, Matt, before... In 3rd and 4th edition, they were considered magical beasts. Huh. Well, there we go. That's just that's just my B, I guess. It's a monstrosity. I guess it really just is a monstrous squid octopus. <laughs> yep. Squidtopus. The Dark Mantle is a small, capital S, monstrosity, capital M. Not smart enough for an alignment, so it's unaligned. It's got a tiny little challenge rating of one half. A small, even for its tiny little CR, armor class of 11 and a small, even for its armor class, HP of 22. It's got a tiny little shimmy speed of 10 feet and a cute little fly speed of 30 feet, which more or less means that they can course correct if something is not standing directly underneath them when they swoop down to suffocate whatever's around. Their attributes are pretty solid for the level of monster that they are. I was expecting them to have worse stats. They do actually have pretty good strength and above average decks and above average constitution. And then average wisdom, and as you would expect, pretty garbo intelligence and charisma. Yeah, I imagine the wisdom is only what it is, so that it would be, it's more likely that they can uh, sense a party walking by. Yeah. yeah, and it's fairly common to have animals with decent wisdom, because you can still, like, sense stuff. In that way, yeah. that, like, wisdom kind of falls down a little bit as to what the fuck it actually is. Yeah. Monsters recognize that Frankenstein was a, the monster the whole time. <laughs> I was going to say, after we talked about the Cyclops, you sure can't trick a Dark Mantle into thinking you're a god. Nope, sure can't. Strange. <laughs> Strange. So being the sneaky kind of surprise monster, it does get a little plus three bonus to stealth, even though the fact that it is a false appearance monster, it kind of obviates the little stealth bonus that it gets. It gets a blind sight out to 60 feet, it being the Bats of the Shadowfell. It developed echolocation. It also, the fact that it has echolocation, it helps the Dark Mantle do the whole magical darkness thing. It's kind of, and this is somewhat tangential, I kind of like the idea of a creature being able to do magical darkness and that magical darkness forcing an evolutionary change onto the creature. So like most creatures that hang out in the Underdark would just develop dark vision because that's what D&D creatures have, but because the Dark Mantle can create an impenetrable magical darkness, it had to evolve an echolocation. It's kind of neat. I kind of like that. Yeah. 
logistically. Yeah, I, I really like when um, they have kind of a an evolutionary ability of sorts. Yeah, similarly with basilisks, how basilisks are a shitty monster because they can hunt so easily. I, I like yeah. it when the, the evolution of the creature or the physiology of the creature reacts to the magical ability of the creature. I'm always down for that. Absolutely. Regardless, it's still got a pretty little passive perception of 10, so stuff can still sneak by reliably. In terms of its traits, the Dark Mantle gets its trait called Echolocation. As we mentioned, it cannot use its blind sight while it's deafened since it echolocates. Yep, that's cool. As always, whenever the players can use logic to debuff an enemy, I'm always grateful. So if the players become aware that the Dark Mantle uses Echolocation and they cast deafness on it, and, and it, it succeeds, and they feel smarter. I'm always down for that dynamic. Yeah, also, like, if you know that, like, if you from a distance see that the Dark Mantle is there, you could just have the wizard, like, cast silence on it. Yeah, absolutely, or, yeah, if the wizard casts silence in order to help the party sneak, and the Dark Mantle just flat out misses the party, I think that would be very cool and good. Yeah, you just fucking, you could do, like, a whole dance number underneath it, and it wouldn't even know. yeah. <laughs> I think that would be cool, and I'm always grateful for when D&D includes those kind of traits. The second trait that they get is False Appearance, and if you're joining us for the first time, False Appearance means that when the Dark Mantle isn't moving, it becomes indistinguishable, I use air quotes there, from a stalagmite or a stalactite or some rock or stone structure, not structure, but stone formation. A brief recap, I think False Appearance is kind of dodgy because when it's used improperly, it bypasses any degree of mechanical interaction. So, like, it keeps the players from using the perception skills that they've been building into from doing the thing that their build is meant to do, perceive things. It's particularly dodgy here, to my mind, because where with a mimic or an animated object or something, you can arouse suspicion by putting things in strange arrangements. So, like, no matter how good of a mimic it is, if you stick that chest in the middle of a bunch of skeletons, someone's gonna be suspicious of the chest. But with the Dark Mantle, who lives in caves and turns into rocks, likely with other hordes of Dark Mantles, you can't really inspire the same logical suspicion that you could with a mimic. Yeah, the the Dark Mantle's false appearance sort of just ends up being like a trial and error, like... once it gets the jump on you once you're now suspicious of every stalactite ever exactly like what are you gonna that that stalagmite that rock over there looks real suspicious yeah Uh, usually i'm pretty okay with the false appearance because yeah it's usually easy to kind of but in this case yeah weasel like uh an an inspection element into it whether or not or at least like suspicion because you don't have to perceive something to stab it with a sword if you're just suspicious of the chest you can stab it yeah, all the absolutely. same and then, oh, it's a mimic. It's for this, because of the environment and because of the way that it is and hides, it's, you just can't have that same level of suspicion. So it's hard to say what is a good way to handle these guys. I was thinking about it really hard because I'm trying to come up with ways to make false appearance work. And I guess, I guess you could do something like put a bunch of stalagmites or stalactites where there wouldn't logically be any, like in a completely dry, waterless part of cave, since these stone formations are formed from water drips. And then I guess you could call for, like, a nature and investigation check from a party member, and if they roll high enough, they're like, you you know, you text, hey boy, those stalagmites look real suspicious, and if they fail it, you're just like, and moving on. Yeah, or like a monstrous version of that will disguise self, like... <laughs> You just make, like, an investigation or perception check against the monster's DC. Like, 
yeah, yeah, that's the that is the the bend in the rules way to do it. Again, and this is something that we we talked about with animated objects. False appearance says that they are indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah, I know. I absolutely. I th- in this case, I am one hundred percent on your side that false appearance is a terrible thing for this, just because yeah. it's unfair and there's almost no possible way you could get around doing it. Doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of my best take for how to handle the false appearance in this case, but I'm sure there's a smoother way to do it. If you come up with a smoother way to do it, feel free to add us on Twitter, TNN Show, or alternatively, send us an email. There's Susan L. Podcast <laughs> at Gmail. Or you can send us a fax at 830-337-777. In terms of actions, the Dark Mantle gets a move called Crush, where it does the cloaker thing and latches onto a creature. And the attacks that it gets are pretty accurate. It gets a pretty accurate plus 5 to hit and does an average damage of 6. 1d6 plus 3 bludgeoning damage. Remember, these guys are... Half of a CR, so it's average for them. More interestingly, as with the Cloaker, the Dark Mantle attaches to the target, which means that the Dark Mantle can't attack anything but the target once it's latched to it, but it has advantage on further crush attacks. Obviously, while the Dark Mantle is attached, its movement speed is locked to zero, and it moves with the target since it's stuck on it. In kind of a weirdly worded way, the Dark Mantle can detach by spending five feet of its movement, which, like, if you think about D&D rules as a computer code, it doesn't totally work because the Dark Mantle is attached to a creature and its speed is zero, so it has mo- no movement to spend, but this doesn't actually bother me. It just fake bothers me in the same way that an askew picture frame bothers me. I just wanted to bring it up because we're doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I understand. It is very weird. It's, a, it's just, like, a little weird. It's just, like, you know... A little bit of programming i know it makes me feel like if i put it into like game maker or some shit it would give me a big old error message or something <laughs> anyway i assume that i assume that spending the five feet is it's it's like the cloaker is getting up from prone yeah yeah i understand like what they're going for speed. it just is phrased weird i understand the spirit of the text but the content makes me feel strange yeah a creature can break free from this crush attack by making an average dc 13 strength check as an action the big cool sexy thing that dark mantles can do is that like with cloakers if the target is medium sized or smaller and if the dark mantle has advantage on the attack like from a surprise attack the dark mantle wraps around the head of the creature which turns into a big old problem because the target becomes private which turns into a big old problem because the target fuck jesus which turns into a big old problem because the target becomes blinded and is unable to breathe, which becomes quite a bit scarier in the early game, especially because of this other thing that Dark Mantles can do in a minute. So yeah, we got ourselves another suffocation encounter, kind of, where there's a bit of a race against the clock to remove the tumor from the ranger. Yeah, this one though, like the other one feels like it's suffocation because like the cloak is wrapped around the face and like smothering and everything. This one's sort of... Just because of the way that the dark mantle is, this one feels very like tentacle constricty. This is like <laughs> yeah, like it just wraps around the throat or something. It's just like slithering its big bulk buff veiny tentacles around your neck and your face. And mm. It's real gross. Yes, let me propose this to you. Where do you mm-hmm. think the mouth is located on the dark mantle? Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that this is more of like a hat scenario where. 
just by it, degrees you get slowly swallowed by the dark mantle and that the crushing is the mouth chewing on your actual head uh that is actually exactly what it is yeah oh cool <laughs> that is having having looked yes it, I wanted to actually say this earlier, but I didn't really know of a way to do it without just being unnecessary. Well, yes, here it is. It has like a little, a little squid-beaked mouth on the inside of it, much like a regular octopus or squid. Mm. But more than that, uh, all of the tentacles that come up into its head give its head sort of a flexible foot muscle-esque strength is what <laughs> it's described as. That's unsettling. Which helps it keep grip on both the ceiling and its prey. Huh. So they could like Spider-Man him back up to the ceiling if they wanted or just like hold him in place. Uh it I think it's mainly like so it's it gives more kind of context to the higher strength and the better grappling capability. Mm, sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's the the way it's described just the flexible foot muscle strength is like the I don't yeah. really like how that Yeah. <laughs> foot muscle was a strange choice. <laughs> uh for comparison. But, but so yeah. it is. So that other thing that dark mantles can do, as we mentioned, they exude a magical darkness, and they do in fact have a once-per-day action called Darkness Aura, which, like, what the fuck, is this Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> when activated, a 15-foot radius of magic darkness seeps out of the dark mantle, moves around it, and spreads around corners. The darkness acts as the spell darkness does, and consequently it requires concentration, as a spell would. As with the spell, dark vision can't penetrate it, and light is blocked by it, including magical light, up to second level magical light. And this is the thing that turns the dark mantle into a thing that it will be useful later on in the game, as kind of like a support creature. Moreover, because of the way that D&D action economy works, it forces these two actions, it forces the DM to make an interesting difficulty decision. So if we're all ready to go, I want to start talking about some encounter stuff that you can do. Yeah, all right. I'll allow it. Yeah, I suppose. I, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> I guess we can talk about encounter stuff. Yeah, I love looking at looks at hand dark mantles. <laughs> oh, God, you're on to me. <laughs> so ideally, you can position your dark mantle squad such that it is possible that sharp players could recognize the ambush, right? If you do the make a nature check, uh, why would there be stalactites here? And then the players are suspicious. Or they fail it and they're not. And if they're not, and they pass under, the Hungry Dark Mantle attacks. And here's where you make that big difficulty decision. Even if the players do recognize that the Dark Mantles are Dark Mantles and start firing on them, the Dark Mantle is going to swoop down and attack the players anyway, or abscond or leave or whatever. The big difficulty decision to make is either you have the Dark Mantles drop down on the characters first and have them do their crush attack, or you have them turn on the dark in the first round and are obscured for basically the rest of the fight unless they can break concentration. If you have them drop immediately, then, you know, assuming that it's from a surprise attack, the Dark Mantle has advantage and can get the crush attack that smothers the character, but they are visible, likely, for the rest of the round, letting players counterattack. Alternatively, you can forsake the surprise attack, you can let the Dark Mantles turtle up in their darkness, and then that gives them a round where they're resistant against attacks, but when they swoop down, they'll have advantage on the attack due to that darkness anyway, and then they'll get off the smother. So this is almost like a strange case where if you forsake the surprise attack, the combat ends up being harder in the long run. Yeah, I, I hadn't considered, because I was immediately like, 
well, they'd have disadvantage because of the darkness. And then I was like, wait, they have blind sight, actually. Exactly, exactly. So it turns into this very strange scenario where doing the thing that seems like the least optimal action is the more useful thing. Whatever. Fuck it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you get what I'm saying. I, I get what you mean, though. So then you have this very horrifying case where the Dark Mantle is suffocating your level 3 ranger and is also totally obscured in the darkness. That turns into the scarier scenario in terms of combat difficulty and can be a pretty cool oh shit moment for the first few rounds of the encounter. Admittedly, there is the basilisk kind of fear that because the player character's only option at this point is to just hack wildly with disadvantage until the Dark Mantle dies, there's the worry that the combat will be a big boring disadvantage time like with the basilisk yeah but i think that because the dark mantles ac and hp are both pretty low i think that even if you did throw six dark mantles against five level three players the fight will be over before the disadvantage becomes too frustrating yeah yeah that's probably true i th these things always do worry me <laughs> actually they do worry, now, but like i used to I used to be very un unworried about stuff like this until we started talking about how things play out. <laughs> they could. It could go very badly, right? The, the six points of HP could end up crushing a player even before they smother, and then they're covered in darkness, making death saves, and it could go very, very wrong. But, like, the AC is 11. That's pretty much yeah. just, even with disadvantage, at that level, you're pretty much just rolling a D20, and if it's higher than you know, 10, you're probably still going to get it. Mm -hmm. I think that it'll still work. I think that it'll be just scary enough to be engaging and not overpowering. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And even then, and this, this, the same goes for the person that is being crushed presently. The strength check is low enough that they could probably break free before too much happens in the way of disaster. So I'm not super concerned here in the same way that I have been concerned in the past. Yeah, like... I'd say a solid six or seven out of ten players could pretty easily roll a DC 13 strength check. Yeah, yeah, I think it can make it work. And again, as always, you have, as the DM, you have control over what the Dark Mantles are doing. If you're concerned about killing a player, make them drop on the fighter instead of the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's how it goes. And again, once the, the darkness has been dispelled or once enough dark mantles are dead and people are getting tired of rolling with disadvantage, you can have them scurry off. They're wise enough to have the sense of self-preservation to my mind. You can have them leave. This is just a good way to instill the fear of the Underdark or the Shadowfell in an early party. I was going to say, would you use dark mantles with other things? Absolutely. I think I would. Since the CR is so little, I think that these guys could be useful, especially since darkness is darkness and can be threatening mm -hmm. at any level. I think that these guys are probably pretty good support creatures in a larger encounter. I can imagine, you know, obviously they're pretty much just darkness bombs or darkness landmines. They can do a lot to obscure a more dangerous threat from the player's field of view, right? So like... yeah. If there's a Mind Flayer that needs to cast spells at things, they can duck behind cover and hide their squishy little bodies from the party with Dark Mantle Darkness. Moreover, and this is kind of an idea I've been playing around, it probably may not work. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Hard to say. You'd have to try really hard to not make the false appearance feel like a screw job. Uh -huh. But I think that what you could do that would be kind of fun for a later game party, like level 8 or whatever, 
if you use the Dark Mantle's darkness to extinguish the light source that the players have, that <laughs> could, like, invite more dangerous Underdark things to come on it. Like, if a, if a bunch of cave fishers swarm them because the Dark Mantle dropped their, you know, dropped the light coming out of their torch, I think that could be yeah. kind of a cool encounter. <laughs> that would be pretty great. Yeah, like a hook horror struts on in because the torch got put out. <laughs> I think that would be kind of cool. Uh, and I, I think that's had this really, really bad idea. It would be fun for no one but me. But just like these dark mantles drop down. They like, let's say, blind one and suffocate one party member. And suddenly they're like, oh, God, watch out for the stalactites. And suddenly one of the stalagmites start moving and it's a roper and it just uh, tentacle grabs the ones that are blinded uh, and suffocating. And it's yeah. just now holding these suffocating blinded party members in the air. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that there could be a very cool, you know, get the fuck out of Baradur running through the cave kind of <laughs> scenario where like you make it obvious that the big scary hook horror monster or whatever is only staying, you know, is only not attacking the party because it's afraid of the light. And then the party is like dodging dark mantles, trying to keep their torch lit up so that they're not <laughs> set upon by the entire rest of the Underdark. I think that could be a very cool, tense, almost chase encounter. Yeah. But yeah, that is kind of what I was hinting at when I said that I think dark mantles can have some creative uses just because darkness is kind of a useful spell regardless of the level. Yeah. I would say under underutilized against players, it seems. Yeah. Mainly, yeah. it's mainly, I like, if just to say, it's probably because it's really hard to mess with player blindness. Yeah. Yeah, so much of combat relies on the conveying of information. So, like, it, when you blind your party, it gets kind of hard to... Weird to yeah. adjudicate and tell people what's going on. I think that there's yeah. a way it can work, but until I sit down and really think about it, I, I don't know. The best, the, the most charitable read I have read of darkness is that it's a good equalizer because most things, you know, can't see in magical darkness. So usually it's a good way to remove advantage from something that has advantage against you because you'll both be, you know, you'll both have disadvantage and advantage on each other because neither of you can see the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that is, that yeah. So like, it's kind of interesting in that regard. Uh, but on the whole, I think that this is the little, the the tiny little key that unlocks the door of hell in a in a later level <laughs> encounter. That's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cute, squishy little squid key that unlocks hell. Horrible tentacle hooked toward hell. Exactly. But yeah, on the whole, I like these guys quite a bit. I again, yeah. I, I like the the mechanics are just interesting enough to be cool. The lore is not very extensive but the art i just really like it i love these squiddy little chaps uh and i'll admit that maybe it is more of a an emotional love than an intellectual love but i'm fine with yeah. that yeah it's probably that because this is just a real good picture it's yeah just it is picture. it's just a get you a copy of the monster manual and have a look at this squiddy the end <laughs> and then the episode just cuts just and then right we just there. cut and then it's just over <laughs> Uh, well, you have to you have to stop it halfway through the sentence, right? Like the Sopranos. <laughs> oh yes, like the Sopranos. I really love the Dark Mantle because.
So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tooth and Nail. If you enjoyed it, feel free to listen to more Tooth and Nail. Feel free to leave us reviews on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you may be listening to this podcast. We'll super appreciate it. We'll we'll give you a little smooch. We won't give you a smooch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being too pr- That was very forward. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, madame. <laughs> if you're sick of listening to our forwardness, feel free to check out other stuff on nerdsmith.org. There's a bevy of podcasts and videos to have a look or listen to. Dear DM is always a good one. Countless Heroes just finished up, so if you want to... I feel like they just finished up, like, eight months ago. I should stop saying that they yeah, just finished you, up. You, you keep saying just finished up, but man, they finished up a bit ago now. It's yeah, been Yeah, in, in internet time, it's basically been an eon. So feel free to look at some other stuff on toothandnail.org. In the meantime... What's our... Hold on, wait, hold on. What? You said toothandnail.org. Isn't it? It is toothandnail.org. We have a a .org? Toothandnail.org. (laughs) Eyes kid. Yeah. Eyes kid. I see the problem here. It is uh, nerdsmith.org where you find the things. I'm a professional. I was like, when did we become an org? Yep, we're the org now. (laughs) Join the org. In the meantime, what is our creature comfort for tonight man i probably already said this one for cloakers but i'm just feeling it again for some reason just wrapping up in a real nice blanket making sure your head is on the outside of it yeah i'm thinking that because they're so squishy get you a good pillow to go with your cloaker blanket yeah yeah get you some cocoa and snuggle up to your favorite monsters like we do every night yeah have a good day Bye bye